I can't, as my company grows, know everything. I just can't. I have to trust the people that I hired to know more about their subject matter than I do. And I have to be willing to have their, them keep growing as subject matter experts and me to focus on being the CEO. Hello, Liz. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Whereabouts are you based? I'm in the New York area, about an hour north of the city. So what time is over there? I appreciate I know it must be a bit late, so I appreciate you doing this. It's just 6.30. Where are you? Uh, Sydney, Australia. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks for having me on your podcast. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I know your time is valuable, so I really appreciate this, and I'm really excited to dig into your story. But yeah, Liz, I guess we'll jump straight into it. Um, how I discovered you, I think I was going through LinkedIn. I've been really active on LinkedIn. And I think you have a decent profile, a big account on LinkedIn. And I think that's how I came about your content. So I guess please share with me and the audience a bit about yourself and what you do, Liz. Well, um, I I write about and speak and teach about uh, work, the human side of work, Andy. Uh, my company is called Human Workplace. And um, it's all about the idea of reinventing work for people. My background is human resources. I was an HR leader for a really long time in in big companies and small companies, kind of like small companies that got that got big, which is a great laboratory to see what works, you know, and what doesn't work in HR and leadership. And it was just so obvious that what worked in terms of helping the company grow and helping people feel happy to be there and 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 feel like working together and um, really focused on one another. And the goal was was to treat them like people, like the professionals they are, and to give them a lot of latitude in how they got their work done, and to really just think about the energy in the place all the time and 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 the companies that I worked for and ran HR for thrived and prospered and grew and also had wonderful, wonderful people uh, working with us and people that wanted to work with us. So it just, to me, I said, there would be no, no reason to run a company any other way, you know, Andy? And I wanted to teach that and it took until I left the corporate world, and then I had time to consult and teach and coach and and do the kinds of things that I do now. And so that's what I do. Interesting. Tell me a bit about the main things you sort of do at the moment. You say you teach, you coach, um, you speak. Tell me a bit more about that. Like what's yeah. your main sort the of- normal content? The normal content stuff. So I started writing first um, in 1997, Andy, I'm not sure you were born. Were you born in 97? No. When were you born? If you don't mind me asking. 99. Okay. Okay. So you're in between my, my sons. Um, yeah, 99 is a great time to be born, you know, um, (laughs) dawn of the new millennium. And, um, so, I knew before I said, if I leave this job, I want to write and speak about how I believe work should be, what it should be like. And it's, and it's, and it's different than the standard model, right? The standard model is really hierarchical and top down and sort of formal and all this stuff that just gets in the way of human forward energy and community 
and and what people want to do they want to be they want to innovate and they want to collaborate and we make it really hard for them oftentimes so um i started writing for a the local paper in chicago where i lived at the time and the chicago sun times and then from there started writing for business week and then um forbes and a bunch of other publications and i started speaking and then linkedin came in i started writing for them and you know yada yada just grew the the followership and grew the you know started illustrating stories and writing books and um doing a lot of coaching and a lot of consulting with CEOs and trying to help them get their arms around this different way to lead different mindset and um and so now we I we I teach people how to how to be leaders how to be career coaches and we publish online courses and um I do a lot of speaking and uh it's usually I do a lot of the same things a lot of people do that that are um pundits you know content people that that kind of thing interesting now I know a lot of my audience are sort of entrepreneurs that are starting out we have a lot of consultants sort of in our audience as well was it hard at the beginning where you quit your job and you just went full time into writing and you're sort of just giving out value giving out value and there's not much inbound sort of work not much inbound consulting or coaching gigs and like how long did it take to a point where it was consistent or did you do something to survive that period well i um i didn't quit my job specifically my company was bought the company i worked for was bought and i and i figured it was tech you know so they everybody got bought right we bought 15 or 16 companies and in the back of my mind it was like yeah well we're going to get bought eventually too right so when i got to be ready i um i had little kids at home and i said you know if this company gets bought or if there's a reason for me to leave i'm going to consult for sure um and i have to start thinking about that now while i'm still working because i do not want to be like you said, Andy, in the position where I'm sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring, you know? And so I started speaking a lot. I started speaking for HR associations, tech associations while I was working. That was really good because it gave me practice doing public speaking and they didn't have to pay me because I was getting a salary. And that made me like a really appealing speaker. Oh, get her because we don't have to pay her, you know? And I had a good brand name company that I worked for. People liked our company. They knew about it. And um, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to speak as much as I can while I'm working. So I'll have a platform and a kind of a reputation when I go out there as a consultant. And that really helped me because as soon as I left um, my job, I had I had work. I had consulting work. Oh. Tell me more about speaking because that's another thing I've been like a lot of people have been telling me about like speaking like I've done a few one or two sort of speaking gigs where I went to like my expertise is e-commerce and marketing so I've been to like these conferences where there was like an e-commerce and marketing debate and I was one of the sort of debaters I sort of speak at small events and try to teach people about how they could market their sort of business with these little events, maybe afterwards I can see, you know, three, four, five people sort of get to know my name, come up to me and chat with me. Um, is that sort of the process? You just do that 50 times and over 50 times you meet 
you know, 50 times five, 250 people, and that turns into work? That's a great question, Andy. I think that it's a combination of produced events, meaning somebody writes to you and says, please come and speak. And your own thought leadership as manifested on social media, right? So it, 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 the, the produced events, the invitations for you to come and speak is really good for credibility. Oh, you spoke at the Sydney Association of whatever, and you spoke over here and you did this virtual thing. And at first, at first, I would say to any public speaker, don't worry about getting paid. What's more important is to have the video, <laughs> right? You want that video and you want testimonials saying Andy's an incredible speaker. He gave so much value. And then you would love to get some consulting leads out of the conversations that you have at the event. But what you really want is the, the video and the testimonials. And you don't need 50. I mean, five, six looks really good on your LinkedIn profile or wherever you're showcasing your availability for speaking. And then the two things, consulting and speaking, kind of reinforce one another. So you've got a few of these speaking videos, not the whole speech maybe, but just clips. Maybe it's YouTube or wherever it is, little things on TikTok or, or on LinkedIn, wherever you want to make your platform. And then you can use that in approaching people in marketing. You can use those little clips and say, you know, James, I don't know if, what is, what is your principal topic, Andy? Is it digital marketing? Correct. Okay. I don't know, you know, how you're situated, James. I see you've got this um, chain of health clubs. I don't know, you know, how you're feeling, if you're happy with your strategy, but I've, I've talked to a lot of folks who feel like they're not getting the bang for the buck. They're not getting the exposure and they want it. They want to take it bigger. They want to be seen by a wider audience or whatever. I don't know digital marketing. So this is your world. But, um, you know, if it made sense to, you know, jump on the phone, I, I'd love to do that. Here's a clip of me addressing the, you know, the, an audience at the the Sydney, <laughs> you know, digital whatever conference last month. It's like, oh, this Andy knows what he's talking about. And there you are live and in person on a video saying bing it a bing it a bing whatever you said and it does really translate to credibility first of all he was invited secondly he went to the to the uh conference and he killed it he did a great job and it and maybe there's crowd shots you know it's it's a, it's powerful and then because we can't be speaking for an audience all the time it's your own thought leadership getting out there little mini videos on LinkedIn, on wherever, whatever platform, Twitter, if as long as Twitter survives, right? Um, you know, and and so somebody said to me, Andy, such good advice. No one is going to build a pedestal under you. You have to build it yourself. Got it. And that's amazing advice, Liz. How do you if you were to prioritize going all in on social media, creating more content on LinkedIn, creating more valuable content on LinkedIn, creating videos, YouTube, TikTok, versus doing the speaking approach, reaching out to different conferences. Hey, I want to speak for free. Prepare your speech and sort of go down that route, which would probably give you a more return on your time or which would probably give you a more audience 
versus the amount of time you invested? It's a such a good question. And I would be irresponsible trying to answer it intelligently, Andy, because that is not my, honestly, that's not my field. I'm telling you just some, some sort of off the cuff observations. I'm super into the content side of our business more so than the marketing side. We have an unbelievable marketing person I'd love to introduce you to. He would say, I'm sure that there's some balance, there's some well-understood and well-researched, um, you know, uh, proportion of, of those two things that probably varies with your um, place in the timeline or the life cycle, you know, of your brand. And it's probably more social media initially and, and more speaking over time, because the, the thing about speaking is that it has the extra element of who you're speaking for. Um, I was happy, you know, 10 years ago or whatever to, to, to be invited to speak at the United Nations. So then it's like, Oh, I spoke at the United Nations. So, you know, I'll throw that in the bio. So those kinds of things always, you spoke at the, the pan Australia, pan pack rim, whatever conference, like that becomes a big deal in your bio. So that isn't, on, on, in social media, the, the best we can do with that is sort of say, I have all these followers or I get all these views and that's really cool. But there's something about that, like the world, you know, the world is recognizing Andy. So, so I think that's the complexity that I could not really, I would not, uh, I don't know, <laughs> but, but there are people who do know how to balance those, those two things. And of course, it's not just those two things. There's other ways to get out your thought leadership apart from live speaking and uh, social media videos. There's writing and writing, man. I'll tell you, like, I love speaking. I'm a performer. I'm an opera singer. I went to music school studying classical vocal performance before I ever heard of business or HR. As a matter of fact, I told my parents I never want to work in the business world. It's gross. It's so boring, you know. Uh, but it was a different business world back then. It wasn't the same. There weren't the possibilities that there are now. But even though I'm a performer and I love speaking, I would rather write because you can say more complex and nuanced things, at least I can, in writing. When people are not under pressure, the thing about speaking is that they have to sort of more or less comprehend you at the rate that you're speaking. And when they're, you're writing, they don't. And they can read it over and over. They can send it to their friends and say, let, let the two of us talk about it. It's all there. So I'm happy that I wrote like 5,000 articles during the same time that I was kind of trying to build this thought leadership and consulting whatever manifesto because it's a body of work that lasts. A lot of people are not going to go back and look at your videos, but they will read the stories. And they'll read a story 10 years later and say, wow, that's a powerful observation. Yeah, I'm glad that I actually wrote that 10 years ago. So it has a, la a staying power, I think, that some other forms of content don't. Whereabouts do you post your written content, Liz, where it has such a long lifespan? Well, mine happens to be on Forbes.com, Businessweek.com you know, Harvard Business Review, uh, WallStreetJournal.com, LinkedIn.com, 
and other publications, but it could just as easily be on Medium, could be on your own blog. Plenty of people have their own blog and folks are still looking at their posts from 10 years ago because they have, they have built up a following around their subject, whatever they care about. And so, you know, um, that is the advantage of having a blog is that you can control it. At one point I wrote for one publication, Andy, for 10 years, once a week, I wrote a story for 10 solid years. And then they just changed servers and they just wiped away all of that content. And they were like, oh yeah, by the way, all your old content, it's gone. I hope you kept copies. Oh, thank you for telling me afterwards. Oh. Afterwards, I know. And so I um, would never, ever entrust my content to some third party again. If I'm sending you something, I'm also keeping uh, a copy of it. And I and I have turned some of that published content into books, which, you know, I would not sign a contract that didn't allow me to do that. They're not going to do it turn it into books. So, so I am still a really big believer in written content as well. I recently read, it was like a year ago, I read The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb. And he had this interesting process of writing his book, where he would post all his different ideas and thoughts on Twitter, LinkedIn, and he will see what type of content would get a lot of engagement. And out of, let's say he would release a thousand different sort of sort of essays the top hundred would then be made into his book and his book became like one of these crazy bestsellers and that was an interesting method of using social media to litmus test what people are interested yeah. in yeah just take the top yeah. yeah um you know I, I hey everybody should do what they want and if your goal is to have a best-selling book it's a fabulous fabulous idea i come from an era where you know the, the, the career and leadership advice that was published when I started writing was was horrible, Andy. It was the worst. <laughs> Got a lot of views, but it was like, oh, like the worst way to manage people, the worst way to tell people to get a job. Uh, that's the reason I started writing, because I was so frustrated by seeing the stuff that was out there telling people who needed a job to grovel, you know, and try to be who they want you to be. Like, they, literally, like, oh. And, and and all of it, horrible advice because it was sort of the old world, right? And and so for me, I come at it from almost the opposite point. I'm going to say what I believe, bitches. And like anybody who wants to read it and, and, and come with me and be in this mindset, then they should. But I'm not trying to write to please anybody or see what other people find appealing. Do you know what I mean? It's it, not to criticize any other perspective or methodology. That's all good. But but for me, it's like it has to be what I feel. And then I'm just testing to see, is there anybody else who sees things the same way I do? When it comes to HR, what are like the main problems you help the companies or CEOs or C-suite sort of people? Um, what's the main problems you help them solve? Well, you know, the okay, the big problem, right? The big problem in, in, in the business world where it comes, and not just the business world, but the working world when it comes to employees and employers is there's a tremendous amount of uh, dysfunction and mistrust, right? And um, in the United States, that's very, very evident right now. And there's a lot of problems. It's, it's, it's all over the world, but we have, 
I, I won't bore you with all the pieces of evidence, but it's not, it's not, we're not in a great place with, um, with relations between employers and employees. And so it is hard um, in general to get CEOs, the heads of corporations and the heads of any size organization off of this idea that their main obligation is to the shareholders. And then after that, the customers, and then at the bottom, the employees. That's that's the paradigm that we that we live with. Shareholders are kings and queens. Then customers are pretty important. And then employees, yeah, well, whatever. The employees, they can deal with it. That doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint because every employee is responsible. Their work is leveraged, right? Their work is leveraged. They, they, they are the ones who keep those customers and shareholders happy. CEO can't do it alone. It has to be the employees. So the problem from the from the CEO's point of view that they would they would ask for my help with is I need to be able to hire people better than I'm doing now. And I need to be able to keep them here, keep them here as opposed to having them quit. So then the translation of that to sort of human terms would be you need to have a more appealing story to go out there to the marketplace with in terms of recruiting. And then once people are on board, they need to have a better experience. It's no different than customer experience, which is a very big business, right? Customer experience, they pay consultants all over the world, like help my customers have a better experience. Help me help my customers have a better experience. Same Mm -hmm. thing with employees. If they're leaving, it's because they are not having a good experience and they believe they could do better somewhere else. So that would be the, those are really the only problems that people ask for my help with either something really related to recruiting or something related to retention, maybe management development, leadership development. But but those the two big ones are getting people in the door and keeping them there. Interesting. And then why isn't HR as simple as putting up a job listing, interviewing a bunch of people, finding someone you like, hiring that person, checking in on that person once every month, maybe taking them out on on a lunch or dinner every single six months, um, making sure to check in on your employees, give them coaching and training, make sure they're happy, um, be open to giving them a salary raise, having like an open door policy and be like, hey, if you have any concerns, please reach out to me as a CEO. Um, and then if the company's much bigger, then please reach out to the manager um, and, and if there's something really important, here's my email. You can email me directly. Like, why isn't HR that simple? Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful question, Andy. It's it's the it's the perfect question, actually. Why can't it be as obvious and simple as you just laid out? A couple reasons. One is that there is a overarching fear in many most. Um, executive suites, right? Executive floors that says we have to protect ourselves against bad things happening. And this is called fear-based management. It's based on fear. It's the CEO waking up in the middle of the night saying, but what if an employee did this or that? What if somebody decided to do this or that? And so in a misguided way, trying to attempt to, to forestall or prevent anything bad from happening, they actually raise the probability that something bad happens, right? Because they destroy the trust 
and the good feeling, the good energy that would keep employees from ever even dreaming of doing something bad. Because I kind of was raised by wolves in HR in the sense that I never, I have never worked for an HR person. I only worked for business leaders and I did HR for them, but I never learned HR from another HR person. I had no idea this was the prevailing uh, framework for HR, prevention of bad things, right? Warding off bad, bad things. So I didn't know. I didn't know. I, did, I never dreamed that that would be the way anybody would run an HR department. And I just tried to spread good energy and be open, like you said, open door and try to help people all the time. And, and, and not because I'm such a great person, but because it's obvious that would be what you would do if you're trying to have a great culture and have people excited to work there and bring their friends to work there and have the company grow. And so it was only when I got out of corporate HR that I started consulting and I saw how, how different that approach was and how many HR people are really shackled. It's not their fault, right? That's not what they want to do, but they're higher up managers are telling them your job is to protect the company from its own employees and keep us out of court, meaning keep us from getting sued for by our employees. Well, here's the crazy thing. If you don't want your employees to sue you, rather than making a bunch of rules and policies, you would just treat them really well. And then they would never even dream of suing you. We don't have a department that tries to keep our customers from suing us, right? We don't have that. But but yet people look at HR as this department that is there to enforce policies. Who could ever get out of bed in the morning excited about going to work to enforce policies? You said it, Andy. It's just a very natural outgrowth of you work here. We want you to feel supported. We want you to feel like you can talk about any problems or issues that you have. We'll help you resolve them. Should be a very easy thing to do. But it's fear at a high level that puts an emphasis on rules and policies and controls, some of which are obviously necessary to prevent, you know, unsafe situations and so on, but not nearly as many as as, as we have in place. And more all the time, this prevention mindset, fear-based mindset, really, really, really gets in the way of everything we want at work, uh, collaboration and innovation and teamwork and you know, and 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 a great, great uh, a connection between employees and and the company, and we do that to ourselves. Unfortunately, it's like self sabotage. I think you brought something up that was really important: the the, the fear based sort of management. And one of the questions I wanted to ask was that you know, recently over the last month, I don't know how it happened and stacked up, but we had three employees recently sort of send in their resignation like maybe it was like a week apart and I was just like confused like why is this happening and it's you know we retained our employees for the last two years with no issues and over the last month we've had a lot of people leave and I didn't know the answer but I think you brought light to what might be the answer and I'd love to get your thoughts over the last month over the last two months I've been really coming together pushing myself and pushing the company to go forward because we've been bleeding out over the last year and we're getting to a point where it's dangerously low and our cash reserves are nearly running out and I'm like okay we need to get our company we need to get out we need to pull everything together I've been working double time and as a result I've been seeing a lot of gaps and a lot of issues in our sort of 
company and in, in the work they produce. So for example, um, we had a podcast editor, the producer for my podcast left, I think a month ago. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, he told me that he got rehired from his previous job, but it might've been because I told him like, Hey, I want to innovate our podcast. It's getting pretty stale. We've been using the same format over the last hundred episodes. There was also an incident where one of our podcast scheduler, which is some, another employee, um, was accidentally re-reaching out to guests that we've already had on to our, on our podcast. And that was very embarrassing and I was very disappointed. So maybe that might have been the catalyst for him quitting. Um, There's another example of um, a, a social media manager that recently left because she said that she wanted more time to look after her newborn. But maybe the real reason was that, you know, we recently implemented a checklist because I've noticed that there's always different social media platforms that we're forgetting to post on. So I was like, all right, let's put together a checklist so we don't have these gaps and she doesn't forget. And let's have one of my managers make sure that she's going through the checklist in every day. And if she's missing something, the manager can ask her, hey, like, how come you didn't post on uh, Facebook Reels today? And maybe that added maybe that made her job difficult and that was a catalyst for her to quit so maybe i'm sabotaging my company by trying to close all these loops and add in checklists and and tell people hey like you're doing this wrong i don't like that should i do would you like my thoughts on that yes please okay well first of all let me acknowledge you because your job is hard you have a lot of things that you have to keep track of right so so hats off to you because it's not easy. And being an entrepreneur and being a CEO can feel very isolating, can feel very alone. Like I'm holding the world on my shoulders. Okay. So hear that. You it's it's not easy what you do. And um and 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 starting your own company at such a young age, very, very big deal. And and you're awesome for doing that. Okay. Um I don't mean to talk about people right but 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 having a baby it's it's hard to overstate having a baby adopting a baby taking the care on the care of a baby it is really hard to overstate how monumental that that is the most life-changing event you can really have one of the most i mean it's (laughs) i went on maternity leave the first time and when i came back to work just 10 weeks later i walked in like it was a foreign country and my my friends that i had worked with for what, five or six years, I was forgetting people's names. I I wouldn't say I forgot your name, but I was looking at them like, oh my God, I hope that name pops back in because I was so changed. Of course, right? You, you've had this baby like, whoa, there's another human being here in the room. They weren't here. What, what does it even mean? And then it's my baby and I'm a mom. I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to breastfeed. I'm up all night. It is freaky how you change. So already there's tremendous, tremendous pressure on a new parent, new mom in particular, I think. And then now here's this new thing and it feels like pressure and it's just, that's an, that's just an unfortunate, um, you know, what, uh, what's the word confluence of events that would get many, many, many new moms to say, you know what, but in general, if you see that kind of gap, like, oops, we're dropping the ball. There's something that's not happening. A great thing to do is to go to that person and say, so 
So, you know, your job is hard. <laughs> You've got all these things to do. Um, how do we create a system to make sure I want your ideas? They are in charge of that, right? Not you as the CEO to make a checklist. They are in charge of that because we have to give people that opportunity to bring their art and their brain power to that. When we when we give a person, here is the checklist, and your manager is gonna is gonna make sure you're doing this. That is that yes, unfortunately, is a little bit the fear based because it says to them, you can't be trusted to do your job. That's very hurtful. And they feel like, oh, okay, I guess I'm just like, you know, making McDonald's hamburgers. Nothing against doing that, right? But it's kind of like I I can't be trusted to to run this stuff. I take a lot of pride in my work. I feel like there's a creative aspect to my job. And if you had told me that you were concerned about these platforms, like I never got that message that all platforms had equal weight. I thought we were really focusing on Twitter or TikTok. So, so it's a communication issue. And I would say always err on the side of saying, what do you think we should do, Samantha? How would you solve this problem? Or maybe it's not a problem. Like, let's talk about it. Do we need to be on all these platforms? It's really a matter of opening up the conversation and starting with trust and saying, what 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 would you do? How do you want to? It takes more time because our instinct is to, boom, I'm going to solve it. But But what we do is we hurt the energy when we solve. And instead of saying, you're the expert, I'm the CEO, I'm in the other office over here. I don't know your job. You, you tell me, you want to think about it? Let's, let's brainstorm. It takes more time. And that's why we often don't do it because we spring into action. CEOs are very action oriented, but sometimes action when it's too hasty, it hurts the human energy, which is really what makes the company go. That's amazing advice, Liz. I remember I spent a period of time, maybe I tested it over a year where I really did that, where I really try to ask employees, hey, right now we're not getting any sales on this online dropshipping store. What do you suggest we do to make sales? Can you reach out to your friends that are working in other companies in the similar field and see what they're doing and come back with me a few ideas? Hey, we've been doing TikTok for the last year and our views just recently just dropped down. What do you suggest us to do um, as a TikTok editor to get more views again. And the answers that were brought back, I just knew from my collected experience would not work. Okay. Um, yeah. And so you I felt guess, like it was kind of wasted effort going to the team and asking for their input. It, it kind of it felt was, like a dead end. I think it wasn't effective. what I felt was like, okay, they came back to me. They gave me an answer. Now I'm going to have to like, find a creative way to sort of thank them for their suggestion and also tell them why I don't think it would work. And then now I'll come in and sort of tell them, Hey, maybe we should try this because I've and seen it. And it feels work. like it's harder than if you had just said initially, here's what I want you to do. Here's the thing. If we're consulting together, Andy, why don't you go to your friends and ask them what they do was already constraining the conversation. In other words, here's how you're going to get this input. You can imagine a person saying, I don't know, my friends, one of my friends works at a bank. Like, I don't, one of my friends is like a horse trainer. Like, why am I, I don't, we should hire a consulting firm. If why I feel like, why am I supposed to, what about your friends, Andy? Like, why am I? So, so telling them this is the way you're going to collect input, what they're going to do 
is they're going to come back with something that they think, like when the teacher gives you an assignment, I hope this is what you wanted. Perhaps as an alternative to saying, go do this, where we haven't tested that that's a good solution, is to say, so I don't know what to do about this. And I wonder if we can brainstorm. Maybe them going to their friends. There's an argument that telling an employee to go talk to their personal friends is a little bit of an intrusion in their personal life, splitting that line between work and the rest of life. But maybe it's brainstorming at an earlier point and saying, what what would you do if you were me? What should we do? Because you can just Google. Uh, my TikTok views are sh- are dropping. What should I do? And some of that advice would be because all platforms have a rise and fall, right? TikTok views are falling for a lot of people, having nothing to do with anything you're doing wrong. It's just platforms are famous for that, right? They're they're famous. That's you know that's the nature of platforms is that first they they make it relatively easy for you to grow your audience and grow your views and grow your engagement. And it's really exciting. And then at a certain point, the platform owner is like, ha 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 on you. We're going to give all the energy now to the advertisers, not you. And we're going to make it really hard to get organic views. That's every platform in the history of mankind. And that's not you. It's just, that's how platforms are. That's why we're always looking for the next thing. But maybe that conversation then with the team would be, so I am feeling a little stuck about this. Is it that we go chase more TikTok views? Because, you know, it gets more expensive to chase views over time. Always, always. To get the same views, it costs more money. It's very, very frustrating. And it's a reason people abandon. The only reason that any of us are on TikTok is because we got sick of Instagram or Facebook or whatever came before. So this is the way the platform owners try to build an audience and then they monetize the audience by making, get, giving the advertisers more attention and the organic creators less attention, right? That's that's the, the way that industry works. And so, so maybe it's not chasing those harder and harder to get views, but maybe it's looking for other channels. Maybe it's using your, your base on, on these various uh, platforms and porting those guys over to a newsletter or some other way of directly connecting with them. They might have found you through the platform, but maybe then you continue to be engaged with them some other way. And again, I'm not a marketing person. I'm an opera singer, HR person, <laughs> you know. I, I I'm just telling you that that in terms of the management side, the earlier in the thought process where you can engage the relevant people, the better. So it's always better to ask rather than to tell, here's what I need you to do. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. One of the sort of problems I would also get would be that the employees would always always come back with the easiest answers, whether it's like, hey, the reason why our TikTok views are down is because you need to film better content. They'll put it back on me. It's like, okay, it's my fault. I need to film better content. Okay. Or... They might say, hey, you know, it's, you know, TikTok goes through ups and downs and maybe we're just going through a down period. So the answers I would get would seem like, okay, like we had this conversation and we're sort of still in the same spot. So you would, you could test something like that. So, so it, I, I hear some emotion and I 100% understand it because I've been in that spot so many times, Andy, where I feel like, oh, I have to do everything. 
I mean, come on. I started the company. Do I have to do everything? It can feel very lonely and it can feel like you're not appreciated. And there's all these feelings that go along with that. And so one way to address that is to say, if you feel like our TikTok views would increase, if we had better content, let's test that. Let's let's look at what criteria would be for what you are saying is better content. Are you talking about editing? Are you talking about the length of a TikTok video? Let's get really ultra specific and just do some A-B testing. Let's just see. Maybe that will work. I'm game to try it, but I need, I need a little more meat on the bone. I need a little more structure in that. If we did 10 videos that we agreed were at this new higher level that we really feel should increase engagement, then, then let's see if that actually works. Um, people are more willing to spend more time and energy coming up with better solutions, more thoughtful solutions, if they feel that their input is going to be, you know, really taken seriously. If we develop, and we've all done it, but if we develop a little pattern of saying, what do you think we should do? Well, I think you should just do this, you know, oh, that's a bad solution. Then, then they're like, well, why should I try it? So we can either reinforce the positive, like great solution, James, you know, let's, let's do that. Or we can say, no, don't even worry. You're, 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 I gave you an assignment and you failed. And so just forget it. Then it's kind of like, well, you know, all right, I'm not even going to try the next time. So we're always looking at the energy. Is it positive where I can reinforce it? Or is it negative where I really have to back up the truck and look at, what you know where is this negative energy coming from and how do we talk about it and just really address it and how do we reverse that because that is you know a very hard part of managing that managing the conflict between everything is on my shoulders i have to do it myself but then people don't like it when i just bark out orders and i tell them how to do their job versus i sort of give the reins and the power to employees, and then am I going to be disappointed by by what comes back? And it's always a topic for conversation, always. But I think if folks can be can understand the mission at a high level, then it's easier for them to come up with solutions. The more visibility they have as to what you're trying to accomplish, the better. And that could just be open brainstorming sessions in a room with a whiteboard, virtual or physical, you know, here's what I'm trying to do. I, I'm super open to suggestions and, you know, I want to hear from you. And I also want to tell you whatever you want to know so that you'll have more, more connection to what, what we're trying to accomplish here. Thank you very much, Liz. I think I can really start getting a grasp on what you're trying to share. Like there was a scenario where the YouTube channel also started slowing down and I was talking to the YouTube manager. I was like, Hey, what should we do to get more views? Now YouTube is about e-commerce and marketing. And he suggested, Hey, maybe we should do some reaction videos where I'll, I'll, like you react to a bunch of viral videos in my mind. I'm like, I don't know if that'll work and that's not relevant to my niche at all, but let me give that a try. Could you send me some videos to react to? He sent me some videos to react. I was like, how would you like me to do it? Can I just, record my face and, and watch the videos and react to it. It's like, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. Did exactly what he suggested. It The clips, some of them actually did well on TikTok, surprisingly, but the YouTube videos totally flopped and didn't do well at all. 
um, I guess I should have followed up and asked, hey, what should we try next? But what you're sort of sharing with is, is that by doing that, now the employee is feeling that he's being listened to, he's seeing his CEO following his instructions, and even and maybe I should have asked, hey, like, and if I did follow up and he saw that the results weren't well, now he's motivated to come up with exactly. a better idea. And in the long term, it would yield high effects. Um, but in the short term, it feels like I'm just taking many steps backward. But in the it's long term, not, I'll take it's not, a lot of steps It's not forward. a step backward. I know it feels like that, Andy, but it's not a step backward. It's so worth it. It doesn't matter. If it works on one platform and it's not really great on another platform, it's worth it, the engagement. The same thing, you know, it's engagement with customers, engagement with our own, own employees, except that the, the, the connection with employees is 20, 40 times more important than that same engagement with one customer. And and so and so going to that person now. I mean, they might watch this video, right, uh, or listen to this podcast. But going to that person and saying, "So we did this thing. What do you think? You know, this was your idea, and and I'm so happy we tried it. What do you think? What should we do next? No judgment. You know, what are you happy with the results? Um, it it's it's just involving them, bringing them into the corner office, basically, and saying so. What do you think? It's treating your managers and other employees like a collaborator rather than sort of like an underling. And it's and it's uh, easy when when um, things are going really well and it's harder when things are not going as well because it feels like you're fighting against. I just need this done. And that's the toughest part of being a CEO. Bar nothing. That's the toughest part is being able to say, you know, uh, 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 this, this, I wish these videos had done better on this platform, but that's what's more important to have this person to actually care about what they're doing. And they're not going to care if I treat them like, you know, the hired help. And, and they're much more likely to, to care if I care about them and how they feel and their input and our collaboration. So it, it is hard, but I think you could keep that dialogue going and say, so what do you think about our campaign and what would you do differently? And what should we do now? It really is delegation and, yeah. and saying, um, I, I can't, as my company grows, know everything. I just can't. I have to trust the people that I hired to know more about their subject matter than I do. And I have to be willing to have their, them keep growing as subject matter experts and me to focus on being the CEO. Like an orchestral conductor is never going to play the violin as well as that principal violinist. And they're never going to play the trombone as well as the trombonists, but they they keep everything working together to make really beautiful music. Interesting. Thank you so much, Liz. And I think you've really helped me. Now I know the importance of like putting less strain and, and restriction and, and being like, hey, this is what we should do. And I think there was one situation that, that, that sort of made me do that shift I think you're sort of helping me go the other way. I think the example, maybe I'd love to get your thoughts on this this case study, um, our podcast scheduler. Um, I gave her complete reins. I said, here's 150 videos of me sort of scheduling guests and reaching out to guests. Watch through it all. And, and I'm more than happy for you to go ahead and use your own strategy and, and do what's comfortable to you. And she watched all the videos and came up with her own approach. Um, Usually my approach would be reach out to the guests, tell them a bit about myself, tell them why I'd like to have them on my podcast and see if they're interested. Her approach 
is similar, but she'll give a booking link. She'll be like, hey, we'd love to have you on my podcast. Here's a schedule link and you could book in a call and then we can chat straight away. And it was very, like, I just, my gut feeling knew that wouldn't work. Like, you don't want to just talk to a stranger and be like, hey, here's my calendar link, book in a call. You'd want to ask them to see if they're interested in coming on the podcast first. And she stuck with that strategy for a long, long time. I was like, hey, is there anything we could do better? I know you're your, your, your percentage of people getting back to you is really low. Like, can you do something like, and it, and maybe she makes more pivots, change the script. I was like, maybe we should, you know, you save the link for afterwards. And she changed and we, it was very slow and steady and nothing was happening. I was like, and then I think I was just very angry one day, which was, which was not good. I was like, Hey, Andrea, I think, you should just use my template, watch the videos and just copy exactly what I do because it, it works. And she started copying what I did and it started getting results. And I was like, yeah, maybe I need to be more that, but you're sort of teaching me otherwise, which is. Well, no, no, no. I, Andy, listen, it's very <laughs> hard to know which approach to take, right? That day you were speaking from the heart and you said, let's just go back. Um, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, I should have done this. I should have done that. I think when there's two steps you said you know watch these 150 videos of me um booking guests or reaching out to guests and and then use your own approach um for some people that would be fantastic and for other people that might be too scary too blue sky like my own approach i don't even know how to do this i've never done it before there's a middle ground where you could say watch these 150 videos what I do is I use this template, take a look, and then you and I will talk about it because maybe you'd like to modify it. Mm. So rather than saying, watch the videos, develop a plan and execute it, like, whoa, you're really giving them the keys to the car at that point. Mm. You could say, watch the videos, take a look at the template, and then let's talk about what you think about the template. Or let's try this template because we've used it and it's worked really well. All of our podcast guests came to us because of this template. And then over time, as if you feel like we need to modify the template and do something different, we'll absolutely take a look at that. So it's still very respectful and very welcoming and very affirming, but not saying, just do what you think. And if a new approach doesn't work, we can use data and say, well, I'm so glad you're here and I really appreciate all your input, but I reached out to 345 guests and we got 175 of them signed up using the old template. And now with the new one, it's an experiment. So we always want to try stuff, mm -hmm. but you've reached out to 85 guests and we've only had 16 of them sign up. So obviously the metrics are way, way off. So what do you say we go back to the old template and then we can try tweaks, but also think about, if we're fighting reality, if we're fighting reality, because the numbers are not, they don't lie, why? Just for the sake of change? I mean, you know, it's good to try stuff, but we've gotten pretty good data now that not only are these people not signing up, but we kind of lost our chance to have them on the show. Mm -hmm. How do we go back and say, oops, no, sorry, we were a little aggressive before, my bad, right? So so it's there's a, there's a branding piece, there's a relationship piece that we are kind of hurting ourselves. What's the rationale? Help me understand what is inside of that. Why the link? You could imagine 
uh, 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 just looking at a process chart, process map, process map, we'll send them the link right away. It's faster. Yeah, it's faster, but they're human beings and they want to be flattered. They want to feel like, hey, you, I love your book. I, I, uh, I've only had time to read the first half, but your book is awesome. And I'd love to talk to you about it on the podcast if you have time, but I can imagine you're really busy. My advice, unsolicited advice on booking podcast guests would be to talk about them before you talk about yourself. I get about 10 requests a week to be on a podcast and nine of them are like, delete, 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 because it's a whole thing about I was born, blah, blah, blah. I love you. I'm glad you were born. But why am I reading this? I'm living my own life and I'm busy like everyone. Like, talk about me. It's the most obvious thing in the world, right? Like, cold emails don't get the same response as warm emails. Just two minutes of research on someone's LinkedIn uh, profile will tell a, a guest booker that, you know, hey, um, Jane, great job being, you know, 40 under 40, Sydney Morning Herald or whatever. That's amazing. That's going to get her attention way more than you should come on my podcast because I'm blah, blah, blah. So, but anyway, I digress. I think in terms of giving latitude here, I've been telling you give people latitude, but also it's got to be judicious in terms of what's the risk of making a big change and what's the risk of giving this person just total freedom versus you know, wanting to really reaffirm them and tell them, I'm so glad you're here, but also say, so let me know what you think about our current process. And we could talk about if there are tweaks, but this is probably the way we want to get started when you're new in this job. And then we can refine going forward rather than just do what you think. So, so, so we don't want to feel that this idea of giving people ownership has to be a hundred percent or nothing. It can be stepwise. It can be, you know, here's what I do when I have a new employee on our team who's in charge of a channel, YouTube, TikTok, whatever. I like to lay out a strategy or or collaborate with them to create a strategy and really rely a lot on past experience and also other information sources, experts in this in this area and um and and come up with a strategy and we view it as a test. We're just constantly testing. And trying things, we're going to be very guided by data. Because when it comes to social media or podcast guests, it's right there. They said yes or they said no, or they blocked us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's and and the same thing with social media. It's working, it's not working, it's no big deal. It's not personal, it's not a judgment on you. We're just gonna tweak it. We're going northwest, maybe we'll go a little bit east. We're just always learning and we're always getting better. That's such beautiful advice, Liz. I really, really appreciate your time today. Please, where can people find more about what you do? Where can people read and, and just absorb more of what you shared today, Liz? Uh, they can um, uh, reach us at humanworkplace.com is our website. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and wherever. And um, yeah, we have a newsletter, brand new newsletter on LinkedIn that we would love to have people subscribe to if they feel like it. And um, hmm, I, I'd say just find us at humanworkplace.com is probably the easiest place. And um, I'm always happy to, um, you know, to talk to folks about what they're doing in their business and help them if I can. So, but listen, Andy, like I said, you're awesome. Thank you so much for having me here and uh, hats off to you on, on your business.
Thank you so much for your time today, Liz. I really, really appreciate it. I can really feel you have like a high level of EQ. I can feel the empathy through the screen. I really appreciate your insight. Um, I was hopefully I didn't ask too many personal case studies. I just thought that might be the best way for you to just showcase of course. your skills. Oh. And I think we've got amazing clips of you solving and giving answers to real life problems that I'm sort of juggling with. And hopefully that can relate to the audience as well. But yeah, I really, really can see the passion and the wealth of experience you have when it comes to people. Oh, thank you, Andy. And I'm very glad to know you. And uh, perhaps I'll get to Sydney. One of these days we could have lunch. Most definitely. Thank you so much for your time today. Everyone else, if you've made it this far into the podcast, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate your time. Please drop me a comment on the YouTube video. Leave me a review on Apple and Spotify. I've been reading all the reviews. I'd love to hear all your feedback. And thank you. I, I really appreciate you guys if you guys made it this far. And I'll see you guys next week with another episode. Peace.